You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's episode 57. Jimmy and Brandon are back with me, Steve, here for episode 57. It's been a quiet week in the Romaverse, so we decided to save our, our transfer wrap type episode here for this week with the international break. Uh, you know, we're missing Roma, especially with the way Italy's played uh, thus far in the international break. It's been a bit disappointing. So uh, we're looking ahead to next weekend for sure. So uh, long holiday weekend here in the States. How are you guys doing? I'll start with you, Brandon. How have you been missing Roma lately? Good, good, good. Um, as you mentioned, I think, you know, the Azuri's performance the last couple of matches has uh, not been, you know, a great follow-up to the Euro victory. Um, so, you know, just like every Romanisi out there is, you know, just uh, eager for Roma to get back on the pitch. Yeah, what about you, Jim? Yeah, it's definitely been disappointing to watch the Azuri over the international break, and it makes me want to get back to that perfect run that we're on with Mourinho right now. Especially now that Zaniolo is apparently not going to be playing that next match. I was excited to see if he might be able to start it forward, but it doesn't seem like we're going to get to see that just yet. Yeah, hopefully, you know, Roma comes back on, on their winning streak. Uh, Roma's streak right now better than my streak hosting barbecues. I was telling Jim before the uh, before we started recording, my wife and I got a house back in December. We've tried to host about four barbecues and it's pretty much rained every time. So uh, hopefully Roma doesn't go down that path with their performance. But we do have some Roma uh, updates uh, before we get into the Mercado talk. Uh, the first one, Matias Vina, early in the break, had an injury scare with Uruguay. Uh, came out of their match after about 60 or so minutes with, I believe it was a thigh issue, but the scans came back negative. And uh, Tabaras, the Uruguay coach, actually said he'd be ready for tomorrow's match if needed. So he still won't go back to the Italian capital till the weekend. So uh, unlikely to play either way against Sassuolo on the weekend. So I know Bren posted a piece today. We're recording on Tuesday about Ricardo Calafiori likely having some increased playing time in the coming weeks because of the heavy schedule, uh, Vina's potential with the injury scare and the, the late return. So uh, could bode well for the young Roman, the 19-year-olds. 
uh, as Jim pointed out in the message board, feels a lot older than 19 because he's been around for a while, uh, but could be his time to shine this weekend with the, the Vigna situation. Uh, and, and more bad news on the injury front for Roma, even though the Vigna one was kind of a good news in a way because it wasn't serious. Uh, Gianluca Mancini, Lorenzo Pellegrini both returned early to Trigoria from Missouri camp. Uh, Mancini with a, a minor foot issue. Pellegrini, I believe it was a hip flexor or something of that sort. Neither one, uh, anything serious probably back so that they can be ready for Sunday instead of risking them, uh, you know, with full training with the Azuri for the rest of the week. So we'll see if they're ready for Sassuolo. And then Jimmy alluded to Zaniolo's issue. He made his uh, Azuri return this past Sunday after 363 days uh, after his injury with Italy, almost a full calendar year. He made his return to the national team. Uh, not super impactful, but it was good to see him back out there getting back in the mix. And he has um, a bruise to his thigh. We'll miss tomorrow's match for the Azuri. Would have been a good chance for probably him, Pellegrini, and Mancini to get playing time because there's going to be a lot of turnover tomorrow. And we won't see any of them. Maybe Brian Cristante will get the start because he's the only Roma player left in Azuri camp. Um, he's a doubt for Sunday. We'll see how that bruise heals before the Sassuolo match. And then outside of Italy, we had uh, Jordan Vertu make his France debut over the weekend. Um, I think it was about 10 minutes or so, but it was still France debut. And then Nicolo Zaluski uh, from Poland, the youngster for Roma, had his Poland debut, played about 35 minutes and assisted Poland's seventh goal in a big victory. So good for his confidence, you know, to, to make a national team debut, I think at 19 years old, assist. Um, good news there. Uh, it was an, a crazy international break. I don't know if you guys saw it, but uh, there was a coup in Guinea while Morocco was there the day before. Um, they were supposed to play Amadou Diawara's Ghanaian side, and Diawara has been stuck there since Sunday um, when the coup occurred. He's supposed to return to Rome tomorrow, um, <laughs> but interesting situation there. And he is also linked with a move to Galatasaray today, so we'll see if anything pans out of that. Uh, Good news on the injury front. Chris Smalling is returning to group training this week. So a little more depth at center back. And um, ever since that post, uh, Brent put up a few days ago about the zones, agreeing to personal terms with Al Ryan. Uh, those rumors have cooled. It seems nothing really going on in that front. So uh, guys, anything that jumps out to you on the, the update front news updates, injury updates. What do you, what do you think, Jim, anything? Yeah, I got to say that I'm excited by that. Zalewski Poland debut. Um, I, I got to see some of the highlights from that match. And I'm not going to just jump to conclusions here, but it is definitely my, my spidey senses started tingling the moment I saw a young Roma player whose name starts with Nico uh, getting an international cap before really getting a chance to shine with his club team. Uh, so, I mean, Zaluski has been like, put forward time and time again, both by the media and also by Mourinho in interviews as a player that he wants to be using this season. So even though we haven't seen him just yet, and even though we've barely seen him at the senior level before, there was that goal-scoring Manchester United debut. Um, it's pretty exciting to me that we have another attacking talent who seems to be on the up and up and very close to breaking through into the senior side. And with three competitions to deal with, it'll definitely be useful to have someone like that in the, in the squad. Yeah. Brent, anything jump out to you in that long list of uh, updates? <laughs> well, I think the first thing is that Bren definitely jinxed the Inzonzi transfer <laughs> with that post. But um, aside from that, I think, um, you know, we, we, I think, I think Jim in particular touched on last podcast episode, how important it is, you know, for players like Veritu to, you know, to get that, um, 
to get that call up with the national team. And um, so it was really cool to see him um, wearing the, wearing the France uniform, um, you know, seeing pictures with him, with players like Mbappe and, you know, players of that caliber was pretty cool to see. And I'm sure, you know, for him, that was a thrill. Um, I didn't, I didn't actually watch the game. I saw, um, or he made his, you know, debut. Um, I saw the highlights and uh, it looked like he was, you know, partially responsible for um, the goal they gave up. Um, I think, you know, he, he, he might've misplayed the pass um, that led to that goal, if I remember correctly, but, you know, still invaluable experience. And I'm sure, you know, coming back to Rome, um, this initial experience is only going to give him uh, more motivation to continue performing and, you know, continuing to represent France on the national stage. Yeah. And I mean, Vertu, we, we've talked about last because I've been one of Roma's best players. So anything else to kind of push him, motivate him more to work toward World Cup 2022, all the better for Roma. Um, you know, I mentioned the coup in Guinea that that was pretty crazy but it might not even have been the most crazy thing that happened this international break because uh, I don't know if you guys saw in South America in uh, Brazil Brazil Argentina one of the you know hottest rivalries in world football uh, apparently there were four players that play in the Premier League including Christian Romero I know was one of them and um, Giovanni Lo Celso and there's two others did not follow the quarantine protocol in Brazil and instead of you know informing the Argentine national team before the match five minutes into the match they literally tried to deport those players off the pitch game was you know canceled at that point or abandoned as they they say and uh so that was interesting and then Italy also set a new record with 36 matches unbeaten in international football breaking uh Spain's recent record from their golden generation and the Brazil team from the uh early 90s that won the world cup in 94 they had both had 35 matches unbeaten so Italy despite their two uh, rather, you know, disappointing draws broke a record. It doesn't feel like we can really celebrate it because it was kind of done in a unceremonious way, but Italy is now the, the record holder there. But yeah, the, I don't know if you guys have anything to say about the Brazil situation or Italy. You can certainly chime in. I think, I think my, for me, my favorite part about the Brazil Argentina, um, fiasco, I guess you can call it, um, <laughs> is that Christian Romero and Lo Celso, they, you know, levied, Daniel Levy told him you guys can't go and they're like eh, we're gonna go anyway um and you know just I as someone who's not a huge Daniel Levy fan just like the the image of that is just hilarious um so I I, I think that's you know um I, I can't I can't recall the other two players I think you know uh Sanchez on Spurs was an, maybe another one who disobeyed that um that Premier League mandate where they couldn't they couldn't leave the country or go to South America for the qualifiers. Um, as for Italy, I think you know um, that 36 match unbeaten um, run in hindsight will be very appreciated, and we're going to look back and be like, "Wow, um, that's a nice feather in the cap of a team that won the Euros." I think on the back of those two performances, it's kind of hard to appreciate what that moment means, um, you know, right now. But I have no doubt, you know a year or two down the line, maybe by the next World Cup, we'll be like, wow, this team was special and they capped it with that. Yeah, what about you, Jim? Anything you want to add on? Yeah, I'll just tack on a little thing about the Italy team. I do find it fascinating that I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried about getting building up that type of a streak right before the World Cup. Not because I don't think that winning the Euros is a, isn't a fantastic achievement. It is. But, I mean, let's be real. With Italy, it's going to feel like World Cup or bust at this point, I think, um, for that squad, 
for any of the new players who were injected into that squad before the World Cup happens, and definitely for Mancini. Um, there might be a little bit more slack if he gets to a quarterfinal or semifinal and loses there just because he won the Euros a year prior. But at the same time, the bar has definitely been raised, I think, about what this Italy team should be doing. Um, and that's something that we hadn't necessarily seen for a while until this Euros, when Italy was able to win it all. Uh, so as much as it's really cool that the streak broke records, I do, I do worry a little bit about the pressure that might add on to the normal pressure of playing for your country uh, when people start talking about this current squad as like one of the best of international plays history. Yeah, and, and even more to worry prior to getting to the World Cup, Italy now with the two draws puts himself in a little bit of a dangerous position if Switzerland wins out and then gets to, you know, comes to Italy. I don't know where they're, what city they'll play in in November, but if uh, Italy doesn't beat Switzerland head-to-head, head head, they're probably going to be stuck in that playoff again. And they changed the format, I heard, to a one, two one-off matches to actually qualify. So uh, certainly not a position Italy wants to get into. I'm hoping that Mancini and Italy wakes up tomorrow because it's probably gonna be a lot of turnover. I saw players like Insigne and Immobile return to their national teams. A couple other guys gonna be a lot of turnover against Lithuania and they can't afford anything but a win tomorrow. And uh, if they keep that streak alive for 37, then the next match is the nation's league against Spain come October. We'll really see where Italy is at after that great uh, Euro cup run. Uh, so some things just to keep an eye on tomorrow. Unfortunately, like I said, um, you know, a lot of Roma players at this point are in the mix for spots, but not tomorrow because of the injuries. So unfortunate for Pellegrini, Zaniolo, uh, Mancini, you know, as good for them personally as it would have been to play, probably from a Roma standpoint, I guess in some ways it's good that they're not playing considering that's the last of the three. I'd, you know, you'd rather see them play early in the, the window and then come back a little bit fresher. So they'll be fresh, hopefully for Sunday. But speaking of Roma, let's get into the Mercato since that's what we're here for. Uh, we'll start with the incoming Mercato. You know, only four incoming players for Roma, Tammy Abraham, Eldor Shmordov, Matias Vigna, Rui Patricio. So we'll go player by player and really talk about them a little more in depth. And then we can kind of talk about the outgoing Mercato as a overall, you know, topic. So starting with Tammy Abraham, because he was really the big name that arrived. Um, we'll, you know, we'll talk about initial reactions first. So Jim, when Tammy Abraham landed, what were your initial reactions? I mean, anyone who has been following what I write for CDT knows that I've been pretty excited about this transfer from day one. I saw it as a low risk, high reward type transfer. And of course there's a certain risk to spending this amount of money on a player period. That's always going to be true. But when you're buying a player who has already shown success in the premier league and I would qualify what he's done in, did in the Premier League already a success. Being a top goal scorer for Chelsea two seasons running, to me, that's a success. Um, when you combine that with being an uh, English national team member, uh, even if Abraham proved to be a dud, which I don't think we're seeing so far, I think he's almost exceeding expectations so far. Um, I think that it would be easy to recoup that transfer fee especially when you add in how that transfer fee is sp spread out over five years, even if he doesn't become good enough to, you know, be worth like the 80 million euros that supposedly is the release clause that Chelsea has on him for 2023. He's still going to be good enough for 
to get that 45 million back. And the way that the accounting works for a football club is that if you wait three years and then sell the guy for the same exact transfer value, you're, you're technically making money. I don't know all the specifics of it, but I do know that that's important. Um, so yeah, I was, I've always been excited about the potential of this move. And I've been really happy to see that in these first couple matches that we've had, uh, Abraham has arguably done better than I think most people expected for, from out the gate. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned how selling a player, you end up making money. What happens is they, you know, amortize, amortize, I'm sorry, the value of that transfer fee over the five-year contract. So Rome was technically paying 8 million of that 40 million fee each year, plus the contract. So if you sell, if you're right, he's not worth the 80 million in two years, Chelsea doesn't buy him. Maybe he's good enough to be Roma starting striker for three, four years, and they can then sell him for 50 or 60 someone in, and then end up making a pretty decent plus for Lenza. Brandon, what were your initial uh, reactions? Um, I think when we were initially linked to him, I was pretty skeptical. Um, you know, I briefly talked about in the last episode, a lot of that had to do with, um, you know, if I had my choice of one away strikers, Tammy wouldn't, wouldn't have been my first choice. But, um, and I think, you know, uh, some lingering um, bad taste from the Ashley Cole experience um, was left in my mouth in terms of, you know, uh, English players coming abroad. And obviously I know they're, they were at, well, they are and were at two different uh, points in their careers and different positions and all that. Um, but these are just, you know, some of the factors that went into my initial gut reaction when I saw the reports of us getting linked to them. Um, but I think that, you know, on the flip side of that, I also thought, you know, best case scenario, this turns out into, um, you know, similar to a Lukaku situation where, you know, getting a lot of flack in England comes to, um, Syria, goes, um, you know, does really well. And then, you know, go from there. Um, so that's kind of, you know, um, as the saga wore on, that's what I started leaning towards more, especially when it obviously became um, more and more clear that we were likely to get him. Um, and, you know, early returns, very promising, of course. Um, very different profile from Jekko as we've hashed out already. Um, and, but I, I think the thing that stands out to me most thus far is the energy that he's brought. Um, and I think, you know, there, uh, I'm sure, you know, we have, we all have memories of, you know, Jekko kind of walking around or, you know, um, just not seeming into the game um, when he wasn't getting the service that he wanted. And, you know, obviously Tammy's played, you know, what, two, three games for Roma. So, um, you know, different motivations, but I think that the early returns on, you know, what, what he brings to the pitch has been um, really promising. Yeah, I mean, my initial reaction, I was, I was pretty surprised when we were linked with him because I know he was getting linked with Atalanta when it looked like Zapata might be the replacement for Lukaku at Inter. And then, you know, Inter swooped for Dzeko and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise for us because we cleared Dzeko's wages. We get rid of an older player who kind of wore out his welcome. And you bring in this young, exciting player. And I, I was excited by the move because it was a younger, exciting striker. You know, I didn't know what exactly to expect from him because... I, I don't really watch the Premier League much. I, you know, maybe we'll see Chelsea occasionally on TV, but he wasn't starting for them most of the time last year. You know, Timo Werner and those kind of guys were playing up front. Um, and my first impression, I've been very impressed with his overall game. Like we talked about last episode, I did not expect him to be 
as dynamic of an all around forward as he's been so far, you know, passing the ball and, and dribbling and things like that. I expected more of like a guy who's going to poach some goals. Um, so I know personally, my expectations have been raised by his performances um, from what he can do all around. Jim, what about you? Yeah. I mean, I already said that I was pretty optimistic about this transfer coming into it um, before I'd seen him put on a Roma kit to begin with. Given that, I do think that I was expecting a lot more time, you know, to settle in, to get used to playing in Serie A, to just, you know, become used to a new environment. Because at the end of the day, this is a totally new place for him to be playing in. Um, no matter how much Premier League experience you have, transferring that to Serie A is not going to just be a complete like-for-like -like comparison. Given that, I've been really pleasantly surprised with what I've seen from him for these first couple matches. So I would say that the expectations have definitely increased, but not because I think that, like, it's to be clear, when I'm saying that my expectations haven't have increased, I'm expecting more out of him over the course of the next couple months because of what he's already shown. So like, this, this is good. It's, he's, he's impressed me. And so I'm expecting more. Um, and yeah, I mean, everyone's been saying it already. He's not just a poacher. Um, he has been getting involved in assists and he looks the way that he plays in this Mourinho tactic so far has almost made it seem like there are three or four forwards with completely interchangeable roles up there, as opposed to a target man, which is what we've been used to for so long. So it's just been incredibly refreshing. And I think that that tactic doesn't happen as well if Abraham doesn't invest as he's invested so far. Yeah, I mean, with Roma looking like a team that's going to play on the counterattack most matches, and you know, Salernitana was a different ball game just because of how weak the opponent was. But if they're going to play on the counterattack, Jekko's not that type of striker you want. You want a guy who can run. Tammy Abraham can run. You made a great point how they can interchange players with Zaniolo and whether it's Shimoradov or Mkhitaryan playing the left. Roma is very dangerous now because of that interchanging uh, ability that those players have. And you, you made a good point, too. I thought there would be a much bigger kind of breaking in period for him where maybe that first match he would have just been you know eased in a little bit against Fiorentina he was thrown right into into the mix I know he had a full preseason with Chelsea but he didn't really have time with his teammates so um Brandon have your expectations changed at all um yeah I mean you know that kind of plays into the pessim the pessimism that I had about the move to begin with so naturally you know my expectations have gone up with the early returns that we've gotten from him I think you know, also going back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, the the Ashley Cole experience having a bad taste in my mouth um, with English players making the jump abroad, specifically with Roma, I think, um, you know, a counterpoint to that is, you know, you got you have like Bellingham and Sancho um, tearing it up with Dortmund in the Bundesliga. So I think, you know, that that initial notion that I had, you know, is quickly being disproven by the talent around the globe with those two specific examples. So I think, and, you know, obviously Abraham with his um, first few performances for the club, I think that going forward, I'm, I would say that my expectations have gone up around the team with Abraham's arrival, maybe not so much, you know, his individual statistics necessarily. Um, I'm sure there will be a point where he hits a wall and the numbers aren't there. And, but I still think that he's going to bring, you know, that energy and that motivation um, that, you know, I think, you know, when, when, when Jacko wasn't firing on all cylinders, um, you were worried about how that would 
um, you know, affect his performance in terms of work, his work rate and things like that. So I think, you know, at Tammy thus far, I've, there's been no evidence to suggest that, you know, once the, the numbers go away, that he's going to stop running for the team and stuff like that. So I think, and, you know, overall, that's going to help the team, um, you know, um, forcing a bad pass here and there could lead to a goal, think something like that. Um, so I think overall, um, you know, I expect, I, I, I don't, I, I can't even say what I expect Tammy's numbers to be really. I think, you know, he'll hit double digit goals easily, um, get his fair share of assists. But I think in terms of the team overall, my, my expectations are, I, I would say before the season, you know, fifth, fourth, were probably, you know, the, the ceiling for Roma in my mind, I, you know, now I would say comfortably fourth is probably my expectation now at least at minimum, um, just based on, you know, what I think that Tammy is going to bring to the team. Yeah. I, you raised that concern about, you know, him potentially hitting a wall. Everybody hits a wall at some point, but the work rate hopefully will make up for any lack of goal scoring. You know, I'm curious to see, you know, we have to take everything with a grain of salt. They played Fiorentina and they played uh, the Turkish side. I'm forgetting their name off the top of my head right now. Trebzonspor. Trebzonspor and then Salernitana. So, you know, he hasn't faced the stiffest defense, you know, come October when Rome was facing Juve, uh, Napoli and Milan back to back to back weeks. And he's coming up against, you know, the Chiellini Bonucci pairing or Koulibaly and Manolas or DeVry, Skriniar and Bastoni. That's when we'll see, you know, what he's really made of against like the top sides and said, yeah, you know, they play Lazio before that, but outside of a Cherby, they're not as strong in the back. So we'll see by the end of October, what Tammy can really bring to the table for like a top, top side. If Roma can really perform to, to that level of those teams, especially from an attacking standpoint against those defenses. But, you know, in terms of expectations, it's hard to put an exact number on goal scoring, but, you know, if I had initially thought maybe he's a 10 goal scorer, you know, because of his talent levels coming in, I'm, I'm probably looking at all competitions in the 15 to 20 range and somewhere in like the five to eight assists probably because he's already got a couple assists. So I know Brandon said he couldn't put a number on it. Jim, what, what kind of number would you maybe put on Tammy if you had to right now? Yeah, I think that originally my expectations for him were to break double digit goal scoring across all competitions. And I thought that was a reasonable goal for a striker in his first season in a new league. Given what I've seen so far, I think that it's pretty realistic to think that he could make the break the 10 goals and 10 assists column. And so that's kind of what my expectation for him is this season. Part of the thing that I think might make his introduction to Serie A be a bit different than like Lukaku's, for example, who's just an easy comparison because, you know, Chelsea striker moves on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, is that, as I said before, the forwards are so interchangeable right now that I don't necessarily see Roma having just one guy who scores an obscene number of goals. And if that play style leads to excellent performances over the course of the season. I don't really mind. Like, is it cool to be the supporter of a club where the, a player might get to become like the league's top goal scorer? Of course. Yeah. But if this Roma is able to win because guys like Shamuradov and Zaniolo and Abraham and maybe hell, maybe even Borja Miral crack 10 goals. I'm happy with that. I'm happy with having a lot of really lethal options who might not be scoring every single match. Um, 
but that would probably mean that Abraham isn't going to crack, you know, 15, 20, 25 goals this season at the very least. So that I, I think that a double double is my safe prediction for him for this season. Yeah, I, I, I think you bring up a good point because we're going to talk about Shamordov next. If Roma has options, you know, and Tammy only has to score, say, 12 goals in the league because Shamordov chips in another 8 to 10 or Mkhitaryan hits the double-double again and Pellegrini's goal scoring has increased and Vertu probably looks like a double-digit goal score again. It just makes Roma more dangerous because, especially as a counter-attacking team, when you're coming at teams, it's like, you know, NBA teams or college basketball teams that play in a fast break and you have three, four guys that can score on the break. It just makes you so much harder to defend uh same with we see in in football now if you have a couple different you know running backs that could catch passes and wide receivers and tight ends teams don't know how to defend you so from a football perspective you know european football if roma can come at you in all these different ways with interchanging they're just all the more dangerous something we didn't see in the past year so uh we'll talk about shimordov next he was actually the first striker brought in by roma um a bit of a head scratcher for me at first i don't know i'll get to you guys reactions at first but he was brought in on a 17 and a half million outright purchase plus some uh, undisclosed performance-related bonuses. Uh, we had mentioned Tammy brought in for $40 million earlier. So a lot of money spent at the striker position, the forward position. Um, a guy with a very short track record in Serie A came in about, uh, I think it was half a season ago from the Russian League, uh, scored eight goals. Ended up scoring mostly late in the season for Genoa, which was like, okay, maybe he's got a little, maybe he's a guy that's building us something. But I know, I know Bren was very critical of this move. I, I, he's not on to talk about it, but, um, you know, splashing cash for a 26-year-old who's only played in Russia and, and those type of leagues before this was like, well, what, what the hell is Tiago Pinto doing here? So that was a little bit my reaction too. Um, Brandon, I'll go to you first. What was your reaction to Shimordov signing? Um, well, yeah, I think, um, you know, I hadn't seen any of him at Genoa, to be perfectly honest. Um, so I thought... You know, I think at the time, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think Jekko had been, you know, concretely linked away with a move from the club just yet. So, you know, in terms of him coming in um, in a backup capacity, um, I was like, all right, um, you know, people seem, you know, I wasn't excited by the signing, um, but that was a product of not having any familiarity with him. Um, and the people who had seen him play, you know, we're, we're um, on the hype train um, for the move. So, you know, obviously have to defer to them. Um, and then when Jekko was leaving and prior to being linked with Tammy, I, I was concerned about, you know, going into the season with um, Borja and um, Shamorodov, um, which, you know, credit to Pinto for, for getting another striker um, into the room. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, re I'm really excited to see um, what role Shimorda plays going forward. Um, I think from what I've seen thus far, you know, him coming in a, in a super sub capacity, um, running at tired legs, um, I think will pay huge dividends. Um, obviously, he's going to get his fair share of starts too, um, you know, especially when Tammy inevitably hits a wall. Um, I can easily see Mourinho, you know, just giving Shimura a start here or there um, to mix it up. So overall, uh, cautiously optimistic, I would say, is, you know, where I'm at with him. Yeah, Jim, what were your initial reactions? And then you can get into your first impressions, too. 
Yeah, so I guess I would say that initially the only thing that made me raise an eyebrow with the Shomurodov signing was the price point. I think that there's an advantage sometimes to buying the guy who's in his mid-20s and hasn't super blown up yet but has shown promise as opposed to bringing in a guy like Borja Mayoral who has a lot of, has time on his side more, so to speak. Um, I think that it lowers expectations for him to just become like an overnight sensation. Uh, I think that it also makes it clear that, you know, back when Jaco's ego was like something Roma had to think about that, like Roma wasn't purchasing a striker that was going to just like come and take Jaco's job. I think that was probably at least part of this. Um, and when you hear press conferences with uh, Shamorodov now, he makes it very clear that like, look, I'm here to help the club win. I'm here to score goals, but I'm not here to, you know, be the number one guy. And so whether that means that I'm backing up Tammy Abraham sometimes or whether I'm playing with him, I'm happy to do whatever is needed. Um, and so given that, that's the type of mentality that I want in like a super sub slash backup guy, um, just like awareness of your particular role. And he really seems to have that in spades. Uh, my first impressions of him on the pitch, I mean, I was hoping that he would be pretty good but he impressed me almost as much as Abraham has impressed me so far in different ways though. Um, like I remember watching the, uh, that first match against Fiorentina when he came in and he like just ran through defenders in a way that I hadn't really seen anyone in Roma run through defenders since Zaniolo, um, since Zaniolo pre-injury. Cause like, obviously in that match, we hadn't really seen much of like good Zaniolo again. Um, so given that it was really exciting to see a player who just seemed very committed to doing whatever needed to be done on the pitch. Um, I don't necessarily that it hasn't changed my expectations of him too much. I would say just because I think that overall my expectations are that he will be a good super sub or rotational forward starter. Um, and given that I'm happy with what I've seen. And I think that he could be with Roma for a while, but that doesn't mean that like it's changed my expectations as opposed to Abraham who hit the ground running so quickly that it seems like his time is now as opposed to, you know, maybe give him a couple months to gel and get used to a new league. Yeah. He, he does have the advantage of being used to the league already, um, you know, six months or so, but it's definitely an advantage over what Abraham had. And I, and I agree. I think the super sub role is, I think, where we all agree he probably fits best at this point. I think he will get his starts for sure. I think there'll be times when he plays with Tammy. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, if the one thing that's impressed me the most was I, I didn't expect him to finish some of these goals so coolly that we saw him finish in the, both the preseason matches and the one against Travis Vonsor. And the, the dribbling that you pointed out on that one goal that he set up was just beautiful. Um, Zaniolo-esque in some ways. And I know Jonas, who writes for us, sometimes made the Merko Vucinic comparison. And if guess what? If Roma bought another Merko Vucinic for $17.5 million, I'll take it because I started following Roma in the mid-2000s when Vucinic was playing with Totti up front for the most part. And he seemed to find the back of the net in some big matches. I remember there was a, a double, I think, against Lazio one time. So I, I'll take that in a heartbeat. And I think his work rate is what we expected him to bring because we saw how often he pressed at Genoa. And against tired legs, that's going to be something that would be a big difference for Roma in, in tight matches, maybe in the last 30 minutes or so. Um, so I, I don't think my expectations have changed a ton in, in terms of uh, 
you know, what he brings to the table in terms of his pressing super sub, um, you know, role, I think, but I think he might score a few more goals than I expected based on what his Genoa numbers and his previous numbers in, in Russia showed. Um, what, what are your initial reactions? Anything to add on to there, Brandon? Sorry, I was on mute. Um, uh, yeah, no, I think um, you guys, you know, covered it for the most part in terms of, you know, how impressive he's been, especially in terms of the finishing. That is not something that I thought we were going to get, um, um, you know, this early on. Um, but aside from that, yeah, I think, I think his work rate has been very impressive as well. Um, obviously tying into the super sub um, comment that we all share. Um, so I'm excited. And I think, you know, the, the Mourinho aspect too, is it's an, yet another one of the guys that Mourinho wanted. Um, so, you know, I think this is going to be another one of those players who just runs his heart out and, you know, um, gives it his all for the club. So that that's, that's, you know, my initial impression so far, and I don't see any reason why that won't continue over the course of the season. Yeah. And I know you guys brought up earlier that uh, when Tammy was uh, not Tammy was brought in, but rather Eldor was brought in, Tammy wasn't even on the radar yet. You know, he was kind of brought in as many thought as the eventual replacement for Jekko until Tammy was brought in. Um, You know, so so I don't know how Tammy's arrival affects him. If Jekko was still here, it's probably a similar role I'd imagine. But um, do you guys think they can play together? Does does Tammy's arrival hurt Eldor at all? What do you think? I'll go to you first, Brandon. Uh, Yeah, I think they definitely can play together. I think that, you know, going, going, you know, to the main characteristics that we've all pointed out about both Tammy and Eldor have been their work rate. And, you know, I think when you have two players like that on the pitch together, um, skill sets aside, I think they, you know, will naturally find a way to make it work. Um, even if it's not a perfect fit, having said that, I think, you know, their skills could complement each other. Um, well, you know, we've, uh, you know, plenty of people discuss, you know, having Shimura out on the wing and Tammy up front. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, uh, a combination that I would really like to see. And, um, you know, you can even, you know, depending on how the game is going, have, you know, Tammy drop deeper, Shimura push a little more forward, um, thing like that. So, you know, I think um, the key component being, um, their energy and their willingness for the team. I think um, they'll do great to get the, the, the times that Mourinho has them starting at the same time. And I don't have any doubt that Mourinho will um, go to that at some point. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Do you think there's any issue with them playing together? I mean, they've already played together a little bit and I liked what I saw. And yeah, I mean, this just goes back to what I was saying before about having a lot of forwards who don't have necessarily hugely defined roles all of the time. This is the advantage of not playing in as one player dependent a system as Roma has played arguably since Francesco Totti took on more of a forward role. Um, There's nobody here who needs to be playing in a specific way, at least at this point, because their ego demands it or because their ability demands it. There are a lot of players who can interchange. And I think that'll be true with Shamuradov playing with Abraham. I think that's true with Zaniolo playing with Shamuradov and Abraham. And I think that honestly, we're in a very unique situation here where I was just counting this up. If we think about players who could potentially crack 10 goals over the course of a season that are at the club right now, 
We've got Abraham. We've got Shamaradov, who I said in our season preview or a transfer review that I thought he would crack 10 goals across all competitions. Um, we've got Zaniolo. We've got Pellegrini. We've got Mkhitaryan. These are all players who could crack 10 goals. Um, and that's a pretty unique situation for Roma to be in. We, I can't remember the last time it felt like we were that potent in attack. And add in the fact that, you know, Spinazzola has had a touch for goal in certain moments and is definitely a, an attacking force when he's at healthy. And if he comes back in January or February and has some form of an eye for goal, then I could see Roma having just so many different offensive options, which is a really unique and great position for Roma to be in. Yeah. Uh, real quick, before we move on to Matias Vigna, any uh, predictions, goals, assists uh, for Shimordov, Jim? Or what would be, you'd be happy yeah, with I, maybe? Yeah, I said 10 goals, four assists in all competitions for our transfer market review. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. I think that he's going to crack or be around double-digit goals. He doesn't strike me as much as much of an assist guy as I think Abraham has struck me as for the past month or so. Um, but you know, this is, these are still early days, so I could be wrong on the assist tally, but I do think that he's going to show, especially maybe if he gets a lot of runtime in the ECL or the Copa that he has the ability to be a double digit scorer across all competitions. Brandon. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I think, um, He's going to get plenty of game time in what capacity, whether it be in, in a starting role with Abraham or as a super sub, that remains to be seen. But, you know, the quality is definitely there and he's going to definitely get his fair share of opportunity. So uh, I quickly looked back at my own prediction at on the transfer market recap, and I, I'm going to stick with it. Uh, 12 goals, six assists, I think is, you know, um, a good benchmark set for um, Eldor for his first season, but uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go with the same uh, areas you guys about ten goal, ten, somewhere in the ten to twelve range. I think in all competitions, including the Conference League, where he might get some starts, Copa Italia, places like that. I think ten or so goals, four or five assists would probably fit him pretty well, and I think would be a successful first season in the capital. Now, Matias Vigna at left back, not a position we expected Roma to pursue in the the Mercato. I don't think. Roma ever thought they'd have to pursue the Mercato because uh, Leonardo Spinazzola was playing out of his mind in the Euros. And then, you know, July 2nd against Belgium, he pulled up no contact and you're like, oh crap, could it be the ACL curse again? No, not the ACL curse this time, but the Achilles tendon. Uh, Apparently his rehab's going pretty well because Spinazzola came out just last week saying that he expected to be back to training in November and on the pitch for Roma in December. I, I still think that might be a bit optimistic because it's still only about uh, what five, four months from the injury to training five months to being on the pitch for a guy who's a speedster seems a bit quick. So hope, who knows if he'll be back that quick, maybe it takes him a little bit longer, but let's just talk quickly about Venus and first impressions. And what do you think his role is when Spinazzola returns? So Jim, I'll go to you first. What, what have you liked about Vigna? Maybe what concerns you and what, where do you see his role when Spinazzola does eventually return, whether it's November or January or whenever it may be? Yeah, my first impressions are that he hasn't hit the ground running in, a, in the way that Tammy Abraham or Eldor Shomurodov have. But that's understandable because I didn't expect Tammy to hit the ground running coming from the Premier League. And Matias Vigna is coming from South America, which, I mean, I know they have some incredibly passionate fans, but it's not thought of as on the same level competition-wise as most of the major leagues in Europe. Uh, so given that, I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen so far. He's not Spinazzola. Um, he's not like a, as attacking in that particular way where 
at times when it seemed like Fonseca's tactics were falling apart, you still knew that if you gave Spinazzola the ball about halfway down the pitch, he could make things happen somehow. And you saw that when he was playing for Italy this summer too, that he just has this innate ability to make things happen in a creative way that you don't usually see from a, a left back. So he's not that, but he is a quite serviceable left back already. He's more attacking than I anticipated. And based off of, you know, the idea that, you know, maybe you should give this guy who moved across the Atlantic Ocean a little bit more time to gel. Uh, every single match that he's played, I thought he's looked better than the one before. And so I'm pretty excited to see where he goes from here. I think that his role once Spinazzola returns is going to be the same type of role that, you know, Eldor Shomurdov is probably going to have with Tammy Abraham. I, we, we will hopefully have enough matches to share the wealth with the starting positions. Um, I think that if we're going deep in the ECL, which I think we can, and if we go deep in the Copa, which we should, I mean, it's been God knows how long since we got that um, ninth Copa. That was in 2006. 2007 yeah i think seven maybe yeah yeah so i mean we need to get that silver star up there asap and if we're going to be going deep into those competitions there'll be plenty of room for spinazzola and vina to perform as for i feel like the other question is definitely then what happens to calafiori who's been seeing a lot of rumors saying that he's going to get some play time in the next month or two uh i'm not too worried about him either again i think that a there's a lot of time for everyone to get minutes. B, Spinatola for all of his, you know, I really appreciate the positivity that he brings to what must have been a devastating injury, but saying that he'll be back to like matches in December, I think that's incredibly optimistic of him um, to the point where it's like, okay, maybe add a month or two to that timeline. And if we're in that point where he is getting back to match play in January or February, and even then it's going to have to work himself into form like any player does after a long injury layoff, there'll be plenty of time for Calafiori to play as well. So I'm not worried for having three left backs who seem worthy of playtime right now. Yeah. And it's, if Spinozola comes back around January, so he almost becomes like a, a winter Mercato signing, just like Zaniello almost felt like a summer signing this summer because he's been out for so long. So Brandon, what are your impressions of Vigna and what do you see his role as, uh, you know, Spinozola does get back eventually. Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I've really liked what I've seen thus far. Um, I think, you know, similar to Shimurudov, it's not a player that I had seen, you know, much, if any, um, prior to him arriving. So I wasn't really sure what to expect other than, you know, knowing that he was brought in as cover for Spinazzola. So, you know, you have that context in mind. Naturally, you lower your expectations from what Spinazzola had been providing you. Um, you know, I, and I think with that in mind, he's, he's definitely passed whatever expectation I had going into the season. I think he's been sound, um, offensively and defensively and with, you know, the defensive aspect being, um, the most reassuring because, you know, when I think of Spinatolo, I, you know, just think of him like what he brings to the table offensively more so than his defensive, um, performance. So I think, you know, going forward, once Spina comes back, it'll be nice, you know, to have a player, you know, waiting in the wings who, you know, is sound on both ends of the pitch. And, um, you know, so similarly to Tammy and Shamordov promising early returns. So once again, 
you tip your hat to Tiago Pinto. Um, in terms of what that means for uh, Calafiori, I think I, you know, I have to agree with what Jim was saying um, about how it's, you know, <laughs> it's nice to see, but not really in terms of Spinazzola's, you know, desired uh, timetable for return. Four to five months after an injury like that, just screams re-injury <laughs> within a month of returning. And that's not something any of us want to see, you know, especially Spinazzola. So I think uh, the best I could hope for with Vina is, you know, continue to be solid, stay injury free. And, um, you know, in terms of Califiori, he's, you know, he's going to get his minutes um, for sure. So, and, you know, he's young, as was mentioned, um, you know, so there, there's no need to hit the, the panic button yet if he's not playing as much as, you know, he would like, or, you know, any of us would like him to play. But I think, you know, the best outcome Roma could hope for is that, you know, both play well when called upon and, you know, it gives you a moment to pause and, you know, when Spinazzola is ready to be like, hey, let's slow this down a little bit. I know it's, you know, November, December, but <laughs> we want you to perform, you know, the way you're performing at the Euros. So let's take it a little slow here. So, um, you know, and I think both players are capable of putting Roma in a position to eventually have that conversation. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like you guys said, there, there's a learning curve for Vina. He came from the Brazilian League. The only reason I knew who he was, I think I tuned into part of one of the Uruguay games in the Copa America for a few minutes this year, and I heard his name a couple times. Other than that, I would have had no idea who he was. Uh, but I think it's a solid signing for Roma. You know, I think it's a, a signing where you can look to the future. 13 million isn't a crazy number. If he does develop, he's still pretty young and can probably be sold on at some point or be you know, Spinozol's long-term replacement with Spinozol, you know, 28 years old, pushing 30 soon in a couple seasons. So um, I think that's good. You know, I think defensively he has been beaten a few times, but he does come over with a reputation of being a pretty balanced fullback, which will be good. And I think it'll be a good change up, like Brandon said, to what Spinozol offers a, a more outright attacking presence, even though Spinozol does defend pretty well. Most of the time you can use his pace to recover, things like that. Um, just quickly on Calafiotti, you know, I think he does have to take the bull by the horns a little bit if he does get the chance in these next month or so to get some matches under his belt and just just do enough to impress Mourinho where he shows he's not a liability because he's 19 years old where Mourinho is then going to be hesitant to put him out there in you know big situations or even start matches maybe in in the league against the weaker side or you know maybe he can even if he's just starting those conference league matches just to spell Vina and can play fairly well at least he shows he's a viable option uh either off the bench or as a change up once in a while to rest Vina. um you know but again Calafiori himself doesn't have the best injury record so far so you just hope he stays healthy too because like you have this Vina injury scare right now if Calafiori goes out and gets hurt on Sunday god forbid you know then you're probably playing Ibanez at left back so that's one of my bigger concerns until Spinozola comes back is we don't have and I'm going to say his name because I know everybody's probably pissed at him right now is a Santon type player who can fill in at either right back or left back in a pinch um, that's kind of what Roma's missing right now. And, you know, when Spinazzola comes back, you might even see him play right back once in a while if Karsdorp needs to be spelled because, you know, who knows what Reynolds brings to the table at this point. So one more fullback probably wouldn't be the end of the world for Roma. And I think there'll be minutes for everybody, like you guys said, especially if we, you know, advance in the conference league. Um, the last signing for Roma was Rui Patricio, uh, another signing that Bren wasn't crazy about when it was made. He's usually our goalie guy. And uh, 
he was signed for 11 and a half million outright with some performance related bonuses from wolves over in England, three-year contract for a guy who's in his thirties. Uh, I know Bren was not crazy when he assessed uh, what Patricio brings, but I have to say so far, I've been pretty impressed with him. Um, pretty solid hands. I know he had a gaffe in one of the preseason matches, but so far in the competitive matches, I think he's looked pretty good. He made one really good save on Vlaovic that I'd mentioned, uh, I think last episode where he just kind of smothered the ball one handed and didn't give up any rebound. Um, and for me, the biggest difference from Olsen and Lopez to him is kind of just like his presence back there. He's a veteran. He's not intimidated. He's got a pretty same pretty much young defense in front of him that Lopez had last year, but they just seem more organized. And then part of that, I'm sure, is Mourinho. But I think it's also part of who's in goal behind that young defense to keep them positionally aware and, and you know, up to speed and and not get overrun and things like that. So. What do you guys think of uh, Patricio so far? Jim, I'll go to you first this time. Yeah, this is my favorite comparison to make. <laughs> I, I, he, he's a rich man's Morgan DeSantis. That is my view on him. And the reason why he's been successful where Robin Olsen and, and Paolo Lopez have failed is quite simply because he's able to order the defense around and, you know, create an environment where it seems like there's a lot more defensive cohesion. And that might change in the next couple months. For all we know, he's going to have one big mistake that ruins everything. I hope not, because he's looked pretty good so far. Um, but yeah, with Olsen and Lopez, you never felt any sense of certainty um, watching them play. And if I noticed that watching on my ESPN Plus stream, you can bet your butts that uh, <laughs> the defenders in front of them noticed. And that really, you know creates a situation where it's a whole lot harder to have defensive cohesion if the goalkeeper is an inspiring confidence Um, it just becomes a vicious cycle and I think that what I've seen from Rui Patricio more than any one individual thing so far is that he just seems to inspire confidence and maybe you need to have a more experienced goalkeeper like that in his early 30s to make that happen as opposed to Paul Lopez and Robin Olsen who are in their mid-20s and really hadn't proved that much before coming to Rome yeah Brandon yeah, you know, I agree with the points that um, both of you made in particular, you know, the, the one of the things that stood out to me most about Patricio thus far has been, you know, just his his presence overall, um, which I think has been a, you know, big, big help to that young CB tandem. Um, going off of what Jimmy was saying about, you know, <laughs> being able to see um, the lack of confidence that Lopez and Olsen had. Um, you know, watching the games, I think, um, you know, a little uh, um, tangent related to that, I think that, um, you know, watching those two, I, uh, you know, you can tell they're always terrified to make a mistake. Uh, Patricio, thus far, I don't uh, get that feeling. And I think, you know, all keepers make mistakes. You hope, you know, when the time comes, it doesn't kill your team. Um, but I think, you know, another key attribute to have as a keeper is the ability to bounce back from those mistakes when they do happen. And, you know, on evidence, Olsen and Lopez did not have that ability. Um, and I think thus far, um, Patricio has shown me that, you know, when that mistake does come, he will bounce back quickly, be able to shrug it off, um, onto the next one. And, you know, for a young CB tandem, I think, 
like Mancini and Ibanez, I think that'll, you know, be very helpful to them. Um, they won't have to worry about their goalie overthinking, you know, the next shot that comes their way after that mistake. Yeah. And I think Jim brought up a great point when he calls him the, you know, the rich man's Morgan DeSantis. If you have a keeper like that, to just keep you in games. It rarely makes a mistake. You know, you don't have to be Allison Becker to, to win matches and said, yeah, he can win you some matches single-handedly, but if you can avoid making the mistakes Olsen made, especially like he cost us the champions league a few seasons ago, or some of the ones that Lopez made Rome was all the better for it in their defense. And the, the young defense on top of that will start to build more confidence, which Roma needs. So that wraps our incoming uh, portion of the episode. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll move to the outgoing transfers. Okay. We're back from uh, the commercial break. We're going to talk about the outgoing Mercado and then give our conclusions to Roma's overall Mercato. So, I'm going to quickly go through a long list of outgoing transfers for you. Excuse me if I, I'm going fast, but there's a long, long list. So uh, the big one was Javier Pastore, contract terminated by mutual consent. You know, Robin Olsen went out on loan to Sheffield United. Pedro left on a free transfer, ended up at Lazio. Edin Dzeko, basically a free transfer into Milan, helped clear those wages. Then we had some some of the failed transfers that uh, moved on from recent seasons. Justin Kluivert to Nice on a one-year loan, $14 million option. Uh, Paul Lopez, one-year loan uh, with a $12 million obligation if support, certain targets are met. Uh, uh, he went to Marseille along with Chengi Zunder, also Marseille, loan with an $8.4 million obligation again if certain targets are met. So, you know, Roma will hope that the options are, you know, become obligations with Cloyver, Lopez, and Under to get those out of there once and for all. And then Alessandro Forenzi, uh, $1 million one-year loan with a $4.5 million option to AC Milan after the mistake he made with the national team the other day. We're not surprised why Roma doesn't want him as our right back. Um, those were the, the big names that moved out, but I'll just quickly run through some of the other names that went out on loan and uh, permanent transfers, Ruben Providence to club Bruges on loan, Zan Salar, Lugano on a permanent transfer, Tommaso Milanese, Alexandria loan with an option and counter option, Ante Chorich loan to Zurich. Um, William Bianda, Nancy with a loan, uh, with an option. A lot of these are loans with options. Salvatore Pizzella to Siena, loan with option. Um, then we had some permanent transfers. Ludovic Dorazio, Spal, permanent transfer. Lorenzo Valu, Sergano, permanent transfer. Matteo Cardinali, uh, Latina, permanent transfer. Stefano Greco, Potenza on a one-year loan. Um, Zacharias Stagui, I don't know how to say that name. Mantorosi, permanent transfer. Uh, Mori Bamba, permanent transfer to Lexos, uh, Mirko Antonucci, Cittadella on a permanent transfer, David Boa, Cheramo on a one-year loan, and Ricardo Ciervo, Sampdoria on a one-year loan. I know there's an option and counter option there. So uh, a lot of those names, forgotten names from the Primavera or Monchi years, uh, gone. But of the big names that went out on loan uh, or loan or permanent sale, any transfers that surprised you, Jim? I mean, obviously, the Edin Dzeko transfer has been a story that seemed like it was going to happen for years. But at the same time, it was still surprising that he left because, you know, after you start hearing those rumors for five or six windows in a row, you just think, OK, yeah, that's just something that they're going to write and whatever. Um, but then you saw him training with Inter and you're like, oh, wow, this actually happened. Uh, I will just note one thing that made me happy that I, when I read it uh, for both of the Marseille loans. So Paul Lopez and Chengi Zunder. Um, those obligations for the sporting targets that if they're met on um, the, the transfer becomes permanent. Uh, I know for a fact for the under one, um, it is only if Marseille does not get relegated, um, 
that transfer becomes permanent. I'm not as sure about the Paul Lopez one, but I think that it might also be the same. So this is, again, kind of a financial, you know, rope-a-dope that a lot of clubs are having to do because of COVID. Um, but it looks like those two might actually be gone permanently. Um, I, I was, I mean, I'm sad that Alessandro Florenzi is gone just because, like, you know, I have a romantic attachment to him as a player. I remember him, you know, coming up. He was really, like, the when I started seriously watching Roma, De Rossi and Totti were already like established players in the side and like a huge reason to follow Roma. Um, Florenzi was the kid who was coming back from loan and had the cute story about telling um, his like Primavera coach that he's not here to play, he's here to work. Um, so I always had, I always really liked Florenzi and it's sad that he's probably gone forever now. But other than that, nobody really surprised me. None of these players seem to be wanted. Yeah, what about you, Brandon? Um, yeah, I think for me, you know, Pastore is probably the biggest surprise. Um, you know, I talked about it before a little bit, but uh, I just thought, you know, that was a player that was going to, you know, see out his contract and just torment me until until that day came. But aside from Pastore, I think Pedro was a big surprise, um, you know, how quickly he moved on once, um, you know, he was frozen out of the team. You don't often... So you, you don't often easily get rid of um, an older player that you hand a three-year contract on those wages. So, you know, I think that probably is a credit to his, you know, desire to play and find a team to play for. And that's probably maybe why that move got a little more expedited than you would normally think um, for a player at that age on those wages. Um, so, yeah, aside from Pastore, Pedro for sure was the biggest surprise. Yeah, I, I think Pastore is probably the most surprising. He ended up with Elche, actually, uh, I think yesterday on a two or three year contract. I think it was three year contract. He says he has two to three good years left in him. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't see much in the three years in Rome. Elche. <laughs> so, you know, for, for a, a club like that, I guess a smaller Spanish side, it's, a, you know, depending on what wages he's on, it's a, you know, shot at something to to bring some buzz to your club. But uh, I think for Roma to, to clear that contract was a big surprise. Uh, I think I think Brandon made a good point about Pedro. I didn't even think of how quickly they were able to get rid of him after he was frozen out. I'm sure his connections to Saudi helped out. We'll see him in the Derby in just a few weeks. Hopefully, he doesn't come back to bite us. But uh, yeah, none of these none of these names surprised me in the end because you know, Cloyver, Lopez, Under, Olsen, Florenzi have all been in that kind of lone um, you know cycle with us going other places the past few years. So nothing that surprising. Um, you know, Jim kind of hinted at his regrets about Florenzi. So I, I have to agree that for any player that left the club, any regrets, I guess, would have to be Florenzi just because he is Roman born and bred and he became the captain and through unfortunate circumstances was forced to play out of position and kind of was trying to be the ultimate club guy. Then the club kind of turned on him in a way where, you know, you, you did what we needed you to do, but now you're not good enough for it anymore. So in some ways it's a bit of a regret, you know, he's not the greatest player to come through Rome. He's not, you know, uh, a world beater like Totti or De Rossi and probably won't even ever be as good as Pellegrini with the tra trajectory that he's on. But, you know, you feel for him a bit because he did give his heart and soul to the club. So my regret is that things didn't work out for him in a way that was more beneficial for his career. And, you know, another guy we'll see in Milan, it's going to certainly feel weird not having him in Serie A, I have to say, after he was on loan uh, abroad the past couple of seasons. Any any players that you have any regrets about, Brandon? Um, I, I agree with you guys. I think, you know, for me, Florenzi is uh, the clear front runner with that question. Um, I kind of assumed that, you know, um, 
whole new slate pretty much in terms of new sporting director, new coach, new owners um, from when we shipped them off last time, pretty much. Um, so, you know, the, the romantic in me was also hoping that um, a reunion would be on the cards, um, you know, at least for Marino to give him a run out and, you know, see how it goes. So there's, you know, there's definitely regret that that move didn't work out, especially seeing him um, with another Italian team is uh, less than ideal. And, you know, I think um, I could completely be making this up, but I, I, I felt like, I, I think if I remember correctly, when he went to Valencia, there was a lot of, you know, hesitation about going to a different Italian team for him. Um, so, you know, sad to see that that's changed. But um, aside from Florenzi, I think Clivert is another one that um, I was eager to see how, you know, what kind of opportunities he would get under Mourinho. Um, I, you know, can't speak as to, to the decision-making behind the move um, to Nice, but that's another one where I thought he, you know, he could have hit the reset button and um, kind of gone from there. Yeah, a little surprise there on Cloyver too for me. I thought uh, he would have been the guy that one of the guys that might have been given a little bit of a shot because he seemed to be more of a Mourinho type player with his hustle and things like that. But uh, there were some players that were frozen out of the side. We've talked about them. You know, Pastori was finally moved on from Olsen was moved on from, but uh, Nzonzi, who we mentioned at the top of the show, linked with other clubs, has not moved on yet. Davide Santon, who I mentioned, has not moved on yet. And uh, Federico Fazio was at even brought a lawsuit against the club to try to work his way back into the club. So those three holdouts, Pinto made it very clear in his presser that they did not want to go. They had solutions for all of those players, and it was them that decided not to move on and move to a different club for playing time. And um, they're still here. Um, you know, Pinto also made it clear that there's you know ten markets still open, including in the Middle East and Turkey and places like that, which is now where we, we're starting to see players linked to. So. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the holdouts? Uh, Brand, I'll go to Brandon first this time. Yeah, um, I don't. I mean, you know, for me, <laughs> I think if I was in their position, I would want to play. I don't think I'm sure that it's not any fun to be on a team that you're frozen out of. But you know, then again, they are on the wages that they're on, and you know, they could just not care um, and want to, um, you know, collect that paycheck. But you know. Um, not knowing their motivations for, for declining their respective potential moves. Um, I think that, um, you know, I think it's good that, that, that Pinto and Mourinho aren't, um, you know, they, they haven't made any uh, hints that they're planning on reintegrating them into the team. I think that's the right call to make. I think once you've decided to freeze out, you know, a group of players, whether you successfully or not are able to ship them out. Um, you know, I think that, you know, getting them back in the team is just, you know, not good for chemistry for all involved. And um, so I'm glad that they're not, you know, as we've seen thus far, I'm glad that there's not any plans to reintegrate them. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I pretty much agree. Um, I'm happy that they're not trying to reintegrate these players into the squad, not just because I don't think that they'd be particularly useful, but also because I think it sends the wrong message in the future. If you're the club to be like, okay, we tried to push these guys out, but they just stuck around long enough that we couldn't do it. So we're going to be nice to them again. Like you can't do that and like yeah. expect anyone to take you seriously in the future. Um, so I, 
beyond that, I'll be refreshing all of the places I search for Roma news, hoping that, you know, they're gone. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I don't think there's any going back. I know some people have said maybe Santone finds a way into the side because of the lack of fullback depth and things like that. But I think that bridge has been burned as much as like Santone might be a useful bench player. I think you're right. It, it Roma loses some credibility if they just say, okay, come back in or, you know, Fazio, oh, oh my God, you're suing us. So we don't want to deal with the lawsuit. So come back in. I, I think these guys are all going to either move on in one of these 10 windows that are open, whether they want to go to the middle East or Turkey or somewhere, or they're just going to sit till the winter. They'll get paid. Sure. But um, you know, they're, I don't think I, they're going to find their way back into the club. Now, two guys who are still, in the side that were also linked with moves away quite a bit this summer were Amadou Diawara and Gonzalo Villar, two young midfielders. I think they're both 23 at this point. Um, Villar last year was one of the, the shining, you know, lights, I guess you could say for Roma in terms of like a young talent who looked to have a bright future under Fonseca, but Fonseca's football, very different from um, Mourinho's football. So Looks like those two aren't quite as valued. We mentioned at the top, Dior is still being linked with moves away to Galatasaray. Um, what does it say about their futures to you, Jim? And, and do you think Dior might move before those other windows close? Yeah, I think it's pretty likely at this point. I mean, maybe the whole coup attempt thing might have slowed it down a little bit. But I think that uh, there's a decent chance that if as big a club as Galatasaray is interested in, we'll tell them, hey, you're going to start if you show, show up here. At the very least, he can view it as like a chance to be there for a year or two to get somebody else's eye again and be back among the real European big boys. As for VR, I mean, if you looked at Tiago Pinto's press conference post-transfer market, he basically just threw down the gauntlet for him and said, okay, you need to get better at defense. You need to bulk up. We like everything else that you do, but you need, if you want to have a future at the club, you need to do those things because otherwise tactically you don't fit with where we're going as a club. And I think that was like tough but fair. Uh, I, I have issues sometimes with the lack of ferocity that I see from other midfielders in our side who are going to be here for a long time, like Pellegrini and Vertu. Sometimes I get frustrated with them, but compared to VR, I mean, both of them look like iron men. Um, so I think that he's still young. He still has a lot of time to develop as a player. But I'm happy that it's very clear that if he wants to continue growing at Rome in particular, he's going to need to up his game in a, in like a couple different ways um, to be a long-term fixture of the club. Yeah, and I found it interesting that the Salernitana match, he was actually in the stands for tactical choices. They, they, they said nobody said it was because of a move away, and it turned out not to be a move away at this point. And I can't see him moving away at this point because, you know, he's, he's not going to move to Turkey or something. Diwara maybe, but... Uh, interesting that VR ends up, you know, in the stands and you have Bove on the bench. So certainly uh, Mourinho not playing around when it comes to what he's looking for in a player. So Brandon, uh, how do you feel about DOR or VR at this point? And they're linked, you know, being away from the club. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the writing is on the wall for Diawara um, in that, you know, he's been linked with a move away from the club for, you know, a few windows now. So I think, you know, that's only a matter of time. Um as for VR, I think I've really liked what, you know, I've seen thus far. Um, I agree that, you know, I, every, every time I watch him, I also um, am of the belief of uh, he could use a little bit more bulking up uh, if he wants to, you know, be, you know, um, a constant presence in this in the midfield for years to come. 
Um, I think I'm, I'm curious to see just how many opportunities Mourinho gives him over the course of the season. Um, if, you know, we started getting reports that he was linked with the loan move away, um, you know, I'd kind of be all for that because I still very much enjoy VR as a player and, you know, how comfortable he looks on the ball and all that good stuff. Um, so, you know, if you're not planning on using him or if you want, you know, him to continue to, to develop because you could in theory see him as a, as a useful piece, you know, depending on if certain characteristics are more developed, I think a loan move would be great for him. Um, but I also would very much like the artistic around the club because I um, have enjoyed what I've seen thus far. Yeah. So you hinted at, you would have liked maybe a loan move for VR. Anyone else you think might've been better off leaving on loan, Brandon? Um, that's an excellent question. I think I'm trying to run through the, all the Rolodex of all the Roman players that are still around in my head. Um, you know, 30 players leaving and whatnot, but, um, no, I, I don't think anybody else comes to mind that could have used a loan move. I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, I, I, I will just stick with that in that I don't think I, nobody else comes to mind. What about you, Jim? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see some players go out on loan in January. You know, Primavera players who may be impressed. Like, I think Darboe uh, could probably use a loan um out to like a good Serie A side like I think that if he had like the Alessio Romagnoli style uh loan out to Sampdoria for a half season or a season that that would probably do him a lot of good in an area in a environment where he could just develop like we all know he has what it takes to perform at a Serie A level but the depth chart is just not going to be kind to him for the next couple months uh and you know depending on who is able to break out of, out of the like three or four primavera players that Mourinho has basically just said i'm taking these guys and making them into part of the senior side if zaluski is impressive over the next couple months i could see him probably needing a loan just because again i think that as good as it is to keep players around i think that you also have to be honest about the depth chart and say unless you just become Lionel Messi in a month, like there's no way that you're going to unseat both like all of these forward options that we have on the depth chart. So sending someone out like him on loan, if he impresses in limited minutes, it's a smart move in my book. Yeah. My, the first thing that jumps to my mind is Darboe, especially because he doesn't, he didn't have a great preseason after he was, you know, showed promise under Fonseca. And, and it seems like the depth chart is working against him. Even Bove is ahead of him who we didn't really even know who Bove was last year from a first team perspective. And then I think you make a good point about Zalewski if he goes maybe, you know, maybe he gets his chances in the conference league group stage or something. And then maybe come, you know, January, it might be time to loan him out if they want to get him more playing time uh, on a consistent basis might not, you know, be bad for him if, uh, you know, Rum is in the knockout rounds and they want to use more experienced players to try to actually win the conference league. But I think Darboe is the first one that comes to my mind now. Uh, we talked about all the guys that were sold or uh, hopefully will be sold on obligation with like Marseille, the odds of them being relegated are, are, you know, about the same as Roma being relegated. So some of those moves will become permanent. We're making our way out of the financial burden of the Monchi spending spree. I mean, that guy was brought in to bring stability and he did the exact opposite. And now it seems Pinto's doing what Monchi was supposed to do. So um, even Santon, Fazio and Zonzi, I believe all their contracts run out at the end of this year. So even if we have to pay him this year, next year, money frees up. So, how do you think this affects the next few Mercatos for Roma, Jim? 
Uh, I think that a lot of really smart moves have been made this Mercado. Of course, a lot of these players could come back from their loans, which would stink. But I think that there's a decent chance that these players are bought out um, and moved on a permanent transfer. Uh, given that, I don't know if it's going to change our Mercados too much. It all depends on what happens, you know, like financial fair play wise. Um, if UEFA just decides, screw it, we're not going to care about that anymore. Or if they change it to, you know, being a salary cap or something like that. Um, then I think that we've seen as an indicator from the club so far under the freaking ownership that they're not afraid to spend. Um, the only thing that I see holding them back is wanting to stay in the good graces of UEFA because the Friedkins have already become involved in like the European club association and things like that. It's obvious that they want to be involved in the hierarchy of European clubs. And it's also obvious to me that the reason why Roma wasn't involved in the European super league was because they didn't want to get anybody upset after they had just purchased the club. So given all those things, if financial fair play becomes less of a factor for Roma, I could see them spending pretty big. Um, but that's a big if. Otherwise, I think that they're going to try to do similar to what they've done now, which is, you know, cut fat wherever they see it, bring in players who they think can have resale value, but can also perform now and maybe steer clear, not steer clear, but maybe not do as much of the buying 18 year old prospects as we've seen from most of the other um, DSs that we've had in the past decade, because I, it, it took me a second to realize we did not buy any like 18, 19, 20 year old from some far flung country this summer, um, which has pretty much been a staple of Roma's transfer history for 10, 15 years now. Um, and so that was new. And it makes me think that maybe it's finally getting to the Roma management that they've got apparently what's consistently ranked as one of the best Primavera um setups in italy let alone europe and maybe we should be using it yeah that's a good point on the you know sabatini was known for that uh, petrarchi did that with vr and guys and any and guys like that so certainly uh, a change in philosophy there brandon what do you think of the overall picture with these uh big contracts on the way out yeah i think you know this window has been excellent for um setting us up for the mercatos to come um i think that you know, once we've completely got rid of all the dead wood um, and, you know, Mourinho has entered at this one, you know, he's been asked about incoming players, you know, and, you know, Pinto is also on the same wavelength where everybody is um, emphasizing that this is a project and, you know, this, this summer market is, you know, the first step in that get rid of all this dead wood. And I think going forward, you know, regardless of what happens with FFP, um, we're going to get to a point, I think, where the Freakins aren't going to be afraid to splash the cash when the opportunity presents itself and it's a good fit. Um, and I think that's probably the most important takeaway from this market and that, you know, hopefully we'll have the ability to do that going forward. Yeah, I, I think the work that Pinto is doing this year will help us in the future to, to do that. I think Champions League money is still going to be important. If, you know, they can get a stadium approved within the next year before next summer's Mercato would even help even more because then there's more financial security for the club uh, moving forward. But I think you're right. I think, you know, the Freakins are showing they will spend money if the, the right option is there. They seem to be ambitious, which I'll bring up at our, our quick, you know, conclusions uh, section to finish up. But uh, I think Pinto is definitely setting the club up in a way that 
they he bought players that are sustainable for the project and got rid of the dead weight, the extra contracts, the Jekyll, you know, making seven and a half million euros and things like that, that are really weighing down the books. So a couple of quick questions as we wrap up. Um, real quick, have your expectations changed for Roma post Mercato in terms of like sporting objectives for this season, Brandon? Sorry, I think um, this ties into what I was saying earlier um, with Tammy and how his um, arrival and his early performances have um, changed my outlook on the season. Um, and you know, I think that that you can you can um, that's applicable to the to um, the market as a whole. So you know, I still think with the additions and all the departures, I think um, I've since gone from struggling for you know that four spot to you know hopefully comfortably being in that top four top top three um position yeah what about you jim yeah i was thinking that it was going to be either fourth or fifth place this season more more likely to be fourth just because i don't know nobody else was super impressing me and what i've seen from both the market and from what i've seen from Mourinho and what i've seen from the players that we brought in in the market uh i think that the range is now best case scenario, second place, worst case scenario, fourth or fifth place. I think that a lot of other clubs got worse. I think Roma is the only club where you can look at it and say, oh yeah, they got way better. Um, and yeah, I mean, injuries are going to obviously play the huge role they always do for Roma. But if this squad is at full strength and playing the way that we've seen them play already, I think second place is achievable. I don't know if it's going to happen, but it's achievable. Yeah, um, I think you make a good point in terms of like the, the Mercato overall. A lot of teams, you know, Locatelli helped Juve, but I think there's still a lot of holes in the midfield. You know, Lukaku leaving certainly hurts Inter along with Hakimi. You know, they, they did bring in some capable players, um, namely Correa up front and some of those guys. Um, the, and the Dumfries, the right, right back to replace Hakimi. But are they better than last year? Not really. Lazio, we'll see. I mean, they brought in some guys late in the Mercato. Like, I like the Zaccani move, but he's not a big, big move. So I think Roma now, if they're not at least fighting for fourth until the to the bitter end, then yeah. there's a problem, I think. I, they might not achieve it, but I think that should be the, the minimum target. I think a deep run in the Conference League should be a minimum target there, um, especially considering the type of teams that are in that Conference League. Not many big names much lesser competition than the Europa League where we made the semis last year. Um, so definitely, I, I think the, the expectations have to be raised a little bit, especially because of who our manager is. Um, and I think Brandon kind of got at this in the, in the last section, but I think the free cans ambitions are well on display. In my opinion, you know, Pinto was kind of like the guy, nobody really knew who he was. And then they landed the big fish when they brought in Mourinho. And then they spent some money, this Mercato in a, in a Mercato when many teams were, you know, working around loopholes and things to get players out or bring players in, you know, a lot of loans with option or obligation. Roma, yeah, Tammy's, a, a, you know, going to be broken down into like five payments or something, I think, over the course of his contract. But 40 million is a lot of money. Uh, even Eldor, 17 and a half for Eldor Shamordov, that a lot of people were like, who? And, you know, you know, they spent money. And I think it says a lot about their ambitions. And in my opinion, I think this is the most in sync we've seen ownership with the DS and the manager in some time, you know, you know, past managers, you know, they've DSs have brought in players for them, but not to like 
the level I think we're seeing where we see players in the Mourinho mold and that's all they're bringing in. They're not saying, well, we couldn't afford Xhaka or we didn't like what Arsenal was doing. So let's just bring in another defensive midfielder for Mourinho that maybe he didn't ask for, but you know, we'll say we got him a defensive midfielder. I think Pinto is either you get the type of player Mourinho wants or you wait until the next window kind of situations, specifically at DM. So uh, Jim, do you think this Mercato says a lot about the freaking ambitions and the, you know, in syncness of the the trio there? Yeah, I definitely do. I think that it's obvious that we're actually, one of the biggest issues that DS is after they left Roma during the Pelota administration always brought up was that what Pelota wanted and what the finances eventually turned out to be never seemed to be truly in sync. And what I think we're seeing now is both the Freakins being willing to spend and the DS not just throwing money at a problem trying to make it go away. Um, when Monchi couldn't sign uh, Mares, he went and signed Schick, who is not a similar player at all. It was just like, oh, I have $40 million to spend on an attacker. I'll get this guy who has Serie A experience instead of this guy from Leicester City. Like, that was the logic. Or at least that was the only logic I could see. Um, whereas... It seems to me like when we were, even when, when a couple different striker targets were being mentioned in the media, there was a pretty clear intent with who we were going for for the post Jaco universe, whether that was when we bought Shamuradov or when we bought Abraham. Um, and the way that those finances were sorted out was perfect for Roma long term. And that's another reason why I was excited for the Abraham transfer period, because when it turned, when it, it's only 5 million euros that's critical for a club like Roma, who's trying to make sure that, you know, a lot of that debt slowly goes away. Um, anyway, I think that they're all pretty in sync and this is kind of leaning into the next question, I think, but I would say that given that Pinto gave himself a 7.5 out of 10 grading his Mercato, um, I would say that I would give him an eight or an 8.5. I think it's a little bit too early to judge it hundred percent because we don't know what happens before now and between now and January, but I'm excited by what I've seen. And it shows it's a good sign for future Mercados, I think. Yeah. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah. I think, you know, the, the market as a whole has shown that, that there's a plan, um, which is not something that I, you know, we, we would have been able to say the last few years. Um, it was always, you know, step one over and over and over again. And I feel like after this market um, and what we've seen thus far from the Friedkins and Pinto and Mourinho is that, you know, step one is done and it's on to step two, whatever, you know, that may be. Um, and, you know, I think that's been evident from day one and that, you know, Friedkins come in, bring in Pinto, you know, X amount of months later, bring in Mourinho, market hits, bring in, you know, the players that will work in Mourinho system while simultaneously, you know, getting rid of that Deadwood, setting us up to, you know, continue to bring in those players that will thrive in, you know, the type of football that Mourinho wants to play. So, you know, to, to answer the follow-up, um, I think it's, it's easily the most in sync that I've seen um, in ownership DS uh, manager trio work, you know, since I've started seriously following Roma. Um, I don't think that, you know, we're, we're never going to be, you know, Man City, PSG, Chelsea, just spending buttloads of cash on a single player. But I think 
the you know the project thus far is setting us up for you know sustained champions league qualification which i think you know for a club of roma's stature should be the baseline and you know hopefully two three years from now we we, we are challenging for the scudetto but you know this um this market was a necessary first step to get there yeah i agree and um Jim, Jim mentioned his rating of Pinto at eight, eight point five. I would agree. I think uh, Pinto saying seven and a half was him being a bit humble, maybe trying to be modest, you know, judging his own work. Nobody wants to hear the DS come out and say, yeah, I gave myself a 10 out of 10, you know, <laughs> like these three jerks wouldn't leave, but I got rid of all this other Deadwood and brought in Tammy Abraham and everybody else. But I, I think the work Pinto did, I, I definitely have to lean toward that eight, eight and a half range because, you know, yeah, Rome only bought four players. Abraham was a big signing. You know, the other guys were, you know, look pretty good on the surface. We'll see how they, they pan out in the long term. But, you know, I think he gets a lot of credit for clearing out all the players he did and having solutions for the three that decided not to leave because he had things lined up for them. They just didn't want, they didn't accept. And it's from the reports in the media, there were multiple options for those guys. It wasn't like he said, okay, here, you can go to Benfica or that's it, Zonzi or, you know, Santone, Salernitana or a bus. There were other options out there and they decided not to. And, you know, that's on the players at that point. So, Brandon, real quick, what would you, what grade would you give Pinto? Well, he might be too humble to give himself a 10, but I will certainly give him a 10 strictly for getting rid of Pastore. Um, <laughs> but now more realistically, I think, you know, eight, eight and a half is probably pretty in line about what, you know, his rating should be overall. I think that um, he should get a lot of credit for attacking the problem areas in the team, you know, namely when Spinazzola went down, Anita left back, filled that. Um you know, Jacko deciding he wants to go to Inter. Um, this Abraham opportunity comes up, jumps on that. And, you know, it doesn't, you know, it was a surprising addition in the sense that, you know, he wasn't on our radar until he basically, you know, it was, it was a short time between when he was on our radar to um, the announcement. But I think, you know, there, as Jim was saying with <laughs> Monchi blindly throwing money at Schick once Mares didn't work out, this didn't feel like that. And, um, you know, it was um, a surprising addition, but it was an addition that made sense. And I think, um, you know, for, for, for moving like that, I think that alone should get um, Pinto an eight, eight and a half. Yeah. And Pinto admitted that the Vina and Abraham signings were reactive, you know, they weren't planned, but much different than even uh, Monchi missing out on Malcolm and then signing zones, a completely different position, completely different profile. So Real quick, we'll wrap up here with uh, any predictions you guys have for the winter Mercato. Do you see Roma being active and, and making any moves, Brandon? Uh, I actually think Roma will be uh, pretty passive in the winter market. Um, I think that uh, Pinto has done so much work, you know, bringing in some necessary pieces and clearing out the dead wood. I think that um, Roma won't be as active on the market as they were this summer, you know, both in terms of incomings and outgoings, but I don't think um, Roma will hesitate to make a move uh, when necessary, if the right opportunity pops up. Yeah. What about you, Jim? Yeah. I think that there's a good chance they go for that midfielder that it's obvious that Mourinho wants, um, but that hinges on what happens with DOR and VR and to a certain extent, Darboa and Bove, like, we could discover that there's an in-house solution already. And that would make the, the point of bringing in another midfielder kind of moot. Um, similarly. Yeah. I, I, I think that so much of this is probably going to be dictated by what 
Mourinho makes out of certain in-house solutions that already exist at pretty much every position. Um, we have promising fullbacks, we have promising center backs, we have promising midfielders, and we have promising forwards. It's a question of which ones he's able to use, which one he feels comfortable using, and whether they need to go out on loan or whether we need to bring someone in because they just aren't up to snuff. Yeah, the only way I can see Roma making any moves, uh, besides potentially midfield, is if a big injury hits at a position and Roma's really in the mix for top four or even more, you know, um, a higher goal than that, which I'm not going to say the word, but, um, you know, if that's the case and, you know, say Karsdorp gets hurt, then maybe Roma might splash the cash on the right back if they feel like that's the difference between them finishing top four or better or, you know, missing out on Champions League. And even the midfield, I think in order for Roma to address defensive midfield this winter, DOR or VR would have to be moved before then. Um, and the Cristante experiment would have to be a failure, which, you know, would be bad news for Roma's overall league standing. So I, I, I agree with Brandon. I think for the most part, we'll be passive. Um, and, and like Jim said, I think some of these guys, maybe a young player emerges that fills the role. Like maybe Bove fills in that backup defensive midfield role because Cristante is working out and Bove can, can get the job done in some of the lesser matches or Darboe kind of rebounds. Or otherwise, I might see uh, Zalewski or Darboe going out on loan just to get them more playing time, maybe even Bove because Bove shows promise. But Roma says, you know what, let's get him six months where he really gets minutes at like a, an Empoli or somewhere. But uh, other than that, I'd be surprised to see Roma spend big. I think the big moves come next summer if they make them because maybe we qualify for Champions League. Three more big contracts are off the books. Um, Pellegrini's renewed and we have a real clear understanding of where we're going from there. But uh, that's the way I kind of see it playing out right now. But again, injuries, things like that happen. Or maybe Roma's like, neck and neck with somebody for for that s word and uh then you know maybe marina says you know if you get me this position i might be able to make it happen and maybe the freakins really show their ambitions we'll see um but that wraps up our our summer mercato you know wrap a week later than the mercato ended but with roma in the international break we figured it'd be a good topic to discuss when we had the time without a match to discuss as well we'll be back probably to our regular recording schedule of mondays starting next week with matches kicking back off um, you know, you keep an eye on CDT for any news updates in the next few days, but then, uh, come the weekend, we'll be back to our regular match coverage. Uh, anything you guys want to leave the listeners with? Not I, um, I'm just, you know, excited to get this dreaded international break over with, but, um, yeah, we shall see, um, where things go from here. Yeah. So that that's where we'll leave you guys and we'll catch you guys next week discussing, uh, Roma Sassuolo.